Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. We're starting to wind down in our series that we've been calling the Jesus-centered life. And the whole idea of this series is that I'm going to make an assumption. I think there's three types of people who are here this morning. Number one, maybe you're here because you're curious about this whole Jesus thing and and trying to figure out what that looks like. Uh, Maybe you're here because somebody forced you to be here. Your spouse dragged you here, your parents, somebody forced you to be here. And listen, if that's you, I've been there before, all right? So we're just glad that you're here. Um, The third category, and I'm going to assume a lot of people are in this category, you're here because you wanted to be here, because you want to follow Jesus, and you want to figure out how best to do that. Like, Jesus is an important part of your life. But my fear is that's kind of where it ends. Jesus is an important part of our life, but that's all he is. He's just a part, like like our work is a part of our life, or our kids' extracurriculars are a part of our life. But the reality is when Jesus called people to follow him, he wasn't just asking them to add on a weekly Bible study or to get together and sing songs to him. What he was asking them to do is to leave everything behind and make him the center of their life. These first disciples left behind their families, their careers. Jesus even told people to sell all they have, give it to the poor. Like, like, don't worry about your family stuff. Like, come follow me. And really, that's the call for all of us. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to make him the center of our lives. I think part of the problem is that many of us grew up and what we took away from church, whether it was explicitly preached or not, is that Jesus came to die on the cross so that if you believe in him, then you get to go to heaven when you die. Now, there are parts of that that might be true, but that is a vast misunderstanding of, of the story that Scripture is actually telling. And when that's the story we believe, we treat Jesus a lot like our 401k accounts, right? Like you think, I, I probably need to be putting some money away for retirement, but I'm not really going to see any return on that for 15, 20, 30 years down the road. So yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible, but I'm not going to see any payback on that investment until one day when I die. The reality is that the message of the Bible is not just how to get to heaven when we die, but how to bring heaven to earth while we live. In fact, as we've been walking through this series, we've been looking at the markers of a Jesus-centered life, and that's the fourth marker. A Jesus-centered life is one that brings heaven to earth. Now, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. You guys can already see I'm not hiding. The, the chairs are on the stage. So I'm sure you guys get tired of hearing me talk about it. If you've been at Bridgepoint, we talk about bringing heaven to earth every week. Like, I'll just tell you, I'm not ashamed. I'm trying to beat that phrase into your mind because that really is, I think, what helps us live every day full of purpose, knowing we're partnering with Jesus in his work. But I know you're tired of hearing me talk about it. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to some people who are actually living this out in practicality. But before um, they share with us, I do want to spend just a couple of minutes kind of laying a theological groundwork, because a lot of the work that you're going to hear about is work on on community development and meeting physical needs. And if all the, the story of the Bible is, is how to get to heaven when we die, then you might think, well, why should we care about the world? Isn't the whole thing going to burn up one day anyway? Why should we meet physical needs? Don't we just need to to meet spiritual needs? The reality is the story the Bible is telling is all-encompassing. It's not there's spiritual stuff over here and everything else over here. It's everything is spiritual, and everything we do, we get to bring heaven to earth. So so when the Bible starts, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, go ahead and throw that up. It's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. 
So again, you've heard me talk about these verses a lot. But the story that Genesis 1 is telling is not how God created something out of nothing. Now, I do think that's true, and that is in Scripture. But notice here that what it's actually telling is how God took something that was formless and void, wild and waste, chaotic and disorderly, and how he's bringing it back into order. In fact, even that phrase hovering over the the watery depths in the ancient Near East, water always represented chaos and disorder. So the Spirit of God is hovering over that, and then what does he do? He brings form and function, separating light and dark, ground and sky, land and sea. And then the next set of days, he's just populating all those different arenas. It's a story about God bringing order from disorder. As part of that act of creation, he carves out a garden in a place called Eden. And this is like perfection. It is heaven on earth. And I hesitate to use the word perfection because it's not like God put Adam and Eve in Eden and said, don't mess everything up. No, it's actually like we just see there's an abundance of of life and there's enough resources to go around. and, And that's where God puts Adam and Eve. He says, be my images, partner with me in the work I'm doing, go out and rule over creation, subdue the earth. He's not saying exploit it, but actually continue to go out into all the areas of chaos and disorder and bring them into order. In other words, go bring heaven to earth. We talked about this last week. We know the story. Adam and Eve, they, they, they mess up. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And actually, when God um, hands out his punishment or the consequences, a lot of these are natural consequences. Because when they have to leave heaven on earth and go out into the chaotic and disorderly world, all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to have to work really hard to get the ground to produce anything. All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of friction and tension in your relationships with one another. A lot of the stuff we experience is because we live in a broken world. But the story of the Bible is not God saying, oh, you messed everything up and I can't fix this. So you know what? I'm going to rescue as many people off this sinking ship until the whole world burns up one day. No, no, you're you're not that important that you're going to mess up God's plan. God's actually going to continue to bring heaven to earth, although the mechanism he uses is the least effective or efficient method possible. He wants to use human beings. So you see this through Noah, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel. If we jump way ahead to the church today, this is what we are called to do. In fact, we follow Jesus. If all Jesus was doing was dying so we could go to heaven, then why on earth would he spend three years in ministry in this world? What are the things Jesus was doing? He was feeding people, meeting physical needs. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was raising people from the dead. He was bringing heaven to earth. He was teaching us how to embody that and live that out in our day-to-day lives. And then he calls us to do that in the future. Now, I want to jump. We talked Genesis 1. Now I want to jump to the end of the Bible. All right, so the beginning and the ending have a lot of similarities. We could do a whole series on that sometime. But I want to look at a verse in Revelation. But before we do that, I always have to preface. Let me calm anybody's nerves. I know anytime you talk about Revelation, all of a sudden, is he going to bring out charts and maps and, and tell you who the Antichrist is? No, because the book of Revelation is not how you identify the Antichrist. The book of Revelation is not when is the rapture going to occur. The rapture doesn't show up in Revelation at all. Some might argue it doesn't show up in the Bible at all. But if you have questions on that, feel free to text it in. But what is the book of Revelation? It was a letter written by a guy named John to some of the very first Christians. And they were experiencing severe persecution. So think about it from their perspective. All right, we're going to follow Jesus, and he's going to bring heaven to earth. Except instead of things getting better and better and better, seems like things have gotten worse and worse and worse. 
So has Jesus failed? Have we put our life in, in the wrong hands? Like, what's going on here? And so John writes this letter, and he says it's, it's a, an apocalypse, which actually means an unveiling. He's like, let me show you what's going on behind the scenes to show you how Jesus is still going to conquer all. Jesus will ultimately bring heaven to earth. And his letter reaches its climax in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 5. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So we start with the sea of chaos and disorder, and the Bible ends with, guess what? One day, all the chaos and disorder will be done away with. And then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Now, the New Testament is written primarily in Greek. In the Greek, there's two different words for new. The first one is neos, and this is like brand new. So my sister just gave birth to twins. One of, they're like seven and a half and five and a half pounds. That's a lot of baby to be in one woman. Like say a prayer for her. That, that's a lot. But th those are like neos, like they are brand new. They weren't there before, and now they are there. But that's not the word that John uses to describe this new heavens and a new earth. He actually uses a different Greek word. It's the word kainos which means renewed. So when my wife and I bought our first house, it was built in 1972. Matt, how do you know it was built in 1972, you may ask? Because everything in it was original from 1972, from the heater to the floors, everything. So while we lived there, we renovated the bathrooms, we replaced carpet, we added new air conditioning, we replaced the floors in the kitchen. Like We were creating a whole new house. Now, was the house like brand new? Or had it just been restored and renovated and made to be like new? That, that's kainos. That's what God is going to do here on earth. He's going to renew and rescue, restore, redeem all of creation. Like it says, he's reconciling all things to himself, both in heaven and on earth. So we did a series a while ago called Renew, where we looked at the Bible as a six-act drama. So, so this is kind of making a connection from like a year and a half ago. So just go with me on this. If the Bible is this six-act drama, and we know act one starts with God wanting to bring heaven to earth, we know act six is God finishing his work of bringing heaven to earth, we're in act five right now, where we know where it started, we know where it's ending, but we're kind of ad-libbing on our way to get there. Like, we have a role and a part to play in partnering with Jesus to bring heaven to earth. Now, can we do this on our own? Absolutely not. In fact, the book of Revelation says, when it's time, Jesus will speak a word and it will be done. Like, he's not depending on us, but he is inviting us to join with him in this mission. So bringing heaven to earth, meeting physical needs, meeting spiritual needs, meeting relational needs, all of those are things that we do when Jesus is at the center of our life. So that's all the theology I'm giving you today. Because I know that the reality is we think, okay, what, what does this mean practically, Matt? Like, how are we going to put this into place? So I'm going to introduce you to some of our friends, some of our partners here at Bridgepoint. But before we do that, I have to wish uh, everyone watching online a goodbye. We will see you guys next week. And because of some of the work that our partners do, we have to be very careful about what we're sharing in a public setting. And so we're going to go ahead and dismiss them. We hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. 
If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.